So if you got a, if you got that paper Bible, uh, we're going to be again. I said on page two fifty four or four ninety four, depending on if you have small print or large print. In Psalm one, um, we'll be in Psalm one. So if you're not sure where Psalms is, it's the easiest book in the Bible to find because it's the longest and it's right in the middle. So if you don't know where it is, if you're trying to learn the Bible, just open your Bible to the very middle, and then Psalm. You'll probably find yourself in the middle of Psalms, and then just go to chapter one. It's funny, all the little tricks my mom used to teach me to learn the books of the Bible and where they were. Like, that was one of the first lessons I learned. Just open the thing to the middle, and you can find it. And Psalms is, uh, just while Garvin's is grabbing about Psalms was uh, the book, it was like the hymn book in the church, uh, or in the, among God's people, the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, uh, even before Jesus was born. So when Jesus went to synagogue, he would have, uh, when they sang, they would have sang various psalms from the book of Psalms. So uh, psalm just is a Hebrew word for songs, and it would be the hymn book. So here we go. Uh, I, by the way, I grew up in the South. So if you don't hear it, my voice, whenever I go visit family in the South, I always have to come back. And like Natalie was, said something to Owen yesterday morning. She was like, what are y'all doing? And Owen said, y'all, <laughs> you know, because that's not part of his vernacular, having been here since he was uh, four. And so we have to de- uh, detox all of the sort of southern accent and dialogue, uh, dialect and words out of our vernacular when we get back. So if I sound more southern than normal today, it'll get better, I promise. Uh, one thing I do uh, not miss about living in the south is tornadoes. I remember like growing up in, the, in a world where tornadoes were a constant threat in the, in the spring for about four months and in the fall for about two or three months. I remember one day there being this tornado that came through our town, and it didn't come through where we lived in the town, but it, uh, I remember seeing uh, the winds were just crazy in our neighborhood, and I remember watching this heavy trash can that probably weighed well over 10 pounds flying about 10 feet in the air across our street, like just seeing stuff, it was, it was terrifying. Now, the good news about tornadoes is they're magnets for two things that weren't, weren't where I lived. Uh, the first thing that they were magnets for is mobile homes. Like, if you ever watch the Weather Channel after a bunch of tornadoes, you can be guaranteed that Jim Cantori is going to go to a mobile home and it's going to be total destruction. I don't know why tornadoes always seem to find mobile home uh, parks, but they certainly do. And then the second thing that they're going to take out, they're going to take out pine trees, which you have an abundance of in the south. There's just all these pine trees. And, uh, and you, like when there's a tornado, somehow they always seem to find the pine trees and just will rip them out of the ground. Uh, right after we moved here, one of the towns we go through and we're going to see my mom. So uh, we fly into Atlanta airport and then we drive an hour and a half south to Warner Robins, Georgia. That's the town I grew up in. And right in between them, there's a little town called High Falls, Georgia. It's a waterfall there. And uh, there was a really bad tornado that came through that town right after we moved here. And so when you would drive down I-75 to go visit my mom, we would get to High Falls and you would look and you would, there would just be pine trees everywhere. And then you get to this really bizarre part of the highway where there's about 100 yards and you look to the left and there's no trees. And you look to the right and there's no trees. And I remember coming right after that tornado and it was all like all pine trees had laid down and been taken out by that tornado for about 100 yards on both sides. And now when you go, it's, you know, they've planted new trees, but they're obviously smaller than all the ones that were always there. The thing about a pine tree that's a little different from an oak tree or, or a different type of uh, tree that sheds its leaves is pine trees have a tap root, meaning the root goes straight down into the ground, whereas like most trees have roots that go out. 
And even when you look at what are the big trees out in, uh, in California, the redwoods, the redwoods have interlocking root systems. The roots stay really close to the ground, but they go out. And so a redwood is one of the most resilient trees on planet Earth because the roots interlock. When one goes, to, like if one's maybe in danger of going down, they usually won't because it's locked into the other one. They protect one another. But a pine tree where I grew up is totally different. Tree goes straight up, doesn't have branches that go out, roots go straight down, they don't go out. So in a tornado, man, those pine trees come out really quickly. Now at the end of every year, uh, usually it's at the end of summer, in September, I begin to pray, God, what do you want for our church for the next year? And I remember sitting in our office over on Terminal Street in September and writing down bold as lions. I felt like God wanted us to be as bold as lions. Uh, it's one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. It says, the righteous go around as bold as lions. And, uh, and I just, I've written that down, drawn stuff, been thinking about it, uh, reflecting on it. And something in me, I felt like God's spirit kept bringing me back. Does God ever do that to you? Like you're trying to go this way and you feel like God kind of steers you back another way or he's telling you go this way. I felt like God was saying to me, no, that's not it. And I kept getting this image of just a tree sitting out in the middle of a field with big wide branches and roots. And I felt like God was saying, no, what we need to focus on for 2020 as a church is being rooted. And so in 2020, this will be sort of our theme, our vision for the year is this, our prayer that we would be rooted and able to be anchored in storms. A lot of people aren't. Uh, when storms of life come, I can't tell you how many people I've met in my 42 years of life who said, man, I loved God until grandma died. And then I thought, if, if God killed grandma, how could he be real? And they walked away from the faith. They, see, their faith wasn't rooted. It wasn't anchored in the storm. I meet a lot of other people who can't thrive in a drought because faith, like... We tend to do this with our faith. Like life just has ups and downs. And just because someone becomes a believer, a follower of Jesus, doesn't mean they're exempt from the ups and downs of life. It just happens. There's times of droughts, very natural. And so in times of drought, people with roots can thrive and people without roots cannot thrive. They don't thrive. And so my prayer for us as a church is that in storms that we would be anchored and in drought we would have roots and be able to thrive. And so the question for all of us is how rooted going into the year is our faith? Because if we're not rooted in Christ, in the word, in God, then we don't really have the ability to be bold about anything. It's hard to be bold about something that we are not anchored into. And so I feel like God, beginning uh, today, would have us talk a lot this year about being rooted. So I want us to start where God's people started for centuries. For centuries, when the Jewish people would open the scriptures and they would sit down for worship, they would start with Psalm 1. And so that's what we're going to read uh, today, Psalm 1. And it's going to have three contrasts, three buts of two lifestyles. There's two lifestyles here. And I'm trying to look and see who the youngest person in the room is. I'm glad that the kids aren't in here because we're going to talk some about sex today uh, just in passing. And I would rather my seven-year-old not hear about that today. So I guess the young, Garvin's, are you the youngest in here? Were you 15? 14. You have the deepest voice of a 14-year-old on planet <laughs> Earth, right? Um, and so whether you're 14 up to whoever is the most senior saint in here today, we're all living one of these two lifestyles. Every one of us, garments all the way up, we're living one of these two lifestyles, and, uh, and there's three contrasts of them. So here we go. Let's read it together. Psalm 1. 
Blessed is the person, says man in, in the version that we're all reading. Blessed is the man, but it's gender neutral. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted, rooted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And I love that. There was a point in my life where I'd memorized that. And in preparing for this sermon, I tried to think, can I still recite that psalm? If you're going to memorize any scripture rolling into the new year, I would totally encourage you to consider memorizing some of this. We'll talk about that at the end. It starts off with this idea of being blessed. God's people love this idea of being blessed. God talked to Abraham and he talked to Moses and he's talked to people through the centuries about the idea of a blessed life. And we hear that so much, you know, at our house, we'll jokingly say like, hashtag blessed. If I get, if we go order chicken nuggets for the boys and order eight and they get nine, we're like, hashtag blessed. You know, we talk about this idea of being blessed so much, but the idea of being blessed in, in Hebrew and in, in the Old Testament, this book of Psalms was written in Hebrew originally. The idea of blessed means happy. It means to be happy. It means to be joyful. It means to be satisfied. How many of you got a meal during the holiday that you just sort of backed up from a table and you were like, whew, that was good. Satisfied. Some of you are shaking your head. You didn't get that meal. You can come to my house. We'll have that meal. Like, it, the idea of being blessed means to be satisfied, like pulling away from a table and saying, hmm, or taking stock of your life and saying, whew, that is good. So blessed, happy, joyful, satisfied. But that satisfaction didn't have a full belly or everything we need. That satisfaction is from knowing God and knowing uh, that he loves us and we're loved by him. It's not based on circumstance. So when the psalmist writes, blessed is the person, he's saying this person is blessed. They're happy, they're joyful, they're satisfied in God. It doesn't matter if things are good or if things are bad. They are satisfied in the Lord. So blessed is the person. And now there's going to be three things that a not blessed person is going to do. And here they are. The not blessed person will walk not, the not blessed person walks in the counsel of the wicked. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. To walk in the counsel of the wicked means to be influenced in your thinking by wicked people. It means to accept the advice of wicked people. A blessed person, a happy, joyful person, a godly person is not walking in the thinking and, and the counsel of an ungodly, wicked person. One of the biggest revelations I've had in the last 10 years is that there is no, there's like team Jesus and team not Jesus, and there's no third way. In our world, we like to think, oh, I don't have to be on team Jesus. I don't have to be sold out, but I'm also not like on team Satan. I'm not a devil worshiper. I'm just a good person, and one day I'm going to figure it out, and I'll pick a team, and you know, I'm going to roll with that team. I'm just not there yet. I'm going to live my life, do my thing for a little bit, and one day I'll pick. And that is not a biblical reality. Like we're either with God or we're not with God. And so the blessed person is the person who walks not in the counsel, the thinking of the person on this team, of the wicked. 
And then it says, who stands not in the way of sinners. And so if the first thing, walking in the counsel of the wicked, is our thinking, the second thing, the blessed person does not do, does not stand in the way of sinners. This is their behaving. See, where our thinking goes, then we go to behaving. And so this is becoming a party with worldly people. I remember when I was in the 10th grade, we were all just starting to get our driver's licenses in my town. I remember finding myself and my buddies, Joey, John, and Rob. This one night in the 10th grade, I found myself at this party where there's a bunch of seniors. It was a seniors party. I don't know how we got there. They were cooler than me. And so I just kind of walked in behind them. We were all allowed to come in. And I remember this was the first party I ever went to where there was a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol. And I remember sitting there saying, oh, I follow Jesus, where there was a lot of things happening that had nothing to do with Jesus. And I remember thinking, I am behaving like people who don't follow God and thinking I was so out of place. And I remember telling my buddies, like, I can't be here anymore and went and got in the car and sat in the car and took a nap for two hours. Uh, and, and in retrospect, I was like, that was really dumb. It probably looked really stupid to my friends. They probably thought that was a dumb decision. But in that moment, as a follower of Jesus, I had to decide, am I going to behave like everybody else or am I going to behave like a follower of Jesus And by God's grace, he walked me out of the house and out into the car, changing uh, this insecurity that told me I had to be at that place and be in the place where people were doing things that were anti-gospel. And then the third thing, blessed is the person who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. This is the idea of belonging or living, adopting a worldly worldview, a godless worldview. And so the person who is not blessed... Their thinking is being influenced by wicked people. And then their behavior is being influenced by wicked people. And then their whole lifestyle is being influenced by wicked people. And so there's this progression. It's not, it, it's not a happy, joyful life. Scott, I think I even have a, a slide up of this. Here's a truth. The righteous should have no place with wicked people. The righteous should have no place with wicked people. But there's this progression if we go from... Uh, like we go from just stand, walking with people who don't follow Jesus to then standing and hanging out to eventually we're just sitting with them and you can't tell the difference anymore. And the psalmist says the one who follows God doesn't go from walking to standing to sitting. He doesn't go from thinking to behaving to absorbing the worldview. He's going to be a different person. This makes me think very sadly about a guy who used to pastor named Jonathan. And Jonathan gave his life to Jesus He got uh, baptized. He had sort of decided he was going to follow Christ. And then a few months later, he starts dating this young woman who he said was really hot, who didn't follow Jesus. And um, and I asked him, I said, man, like, are you going to invite her to church? He goes, well, not yet. I'm going to wait just a little while. And he began to adopt her thinking rather than her adopt his thinking. Well, the next thing I know, they're sleeping together. And he's becoming a little less interested in following Christ. He's at church less. He stopped showing up in small group. He just became a little different. His attitude changed. Behavior was beginning to change. And then the third thing I know, he quits coming all together. And I see him about six months later. And I'd text him. I'd like call him. He would be real standoffish. I see him six months later. I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? What's going on? And I was like, you still following Jesus? And he says, no, I'm not into that anymore. I don't think I believe there's a God at all. 
what had happened, he went from his thinking being influenced by her to his behavior being influenced by her to ultimately he took on her worldview and he basically became a functional atheist. There's this slippy, slippery slope from faith over for him to atheism. But the psalmist says, but the blessed person is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now that doesn't mean like a commandment. It's not saying Desheen's got a, you know, we all know some of the Ten Commandments, I think, like you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't um, take the Lord's name in vain, all those things. It's not saying one of those. His delight is in one law. Like, you got to do this one thing. When it says his delight is in the law of the Lord, it means his delight is in the counsel of God. His delight is in what God says about life and belief. And so the first contrast is this idea of this, ha- this person who is truly happy delighting in the law of the Lord. It says on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, in our culture, meditation is this, right? It's like sitting there and kind of trying to empty your mind and all of that stuff. For a Christian, what it means to meditate is it means to sort of chew on something over and over and over. So it's not emptying your mind. It's actually filling your mind. It's filling your mind with things of God. And the Bible says, blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. The word in Hebrew means to murmur. It's like... Um, just to kind of walk down the street and, and, and to be murmuring, to be repeating, talking to yourself about the law of the Lord. If, you were to re- if we were reading this in Hebrew, it would be to say the person who is happy, who is blessed, is the one who kind of walks down the street and is literally reciting this. How blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, who doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. You're just sort of sitting on the tee, reciting this to yourself, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night you're repeating it under your breath reciting it to yourself it's the person who is at school and wants to yell at your teacher but you're because they're making you crazy and stealing your joy and so you're meditating on God's word and you're remembering in Philippians 4 it says rejoice in the Lord always I say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all it's the one who's struggling with anxiety telling themselves oh i've got to take captive my thoughts first corinthians or second corinthians and make them obedient to christ it's remembering hebrews 12 when we want to tap out and say i can't follow jesus i can't run this race and we say oh no i've got to throw off the sin that so easily entangles and all the things that would hinder me from running with christ and run the race that god's put out before me. It's remembering when we feel like, oh, I wasn't good enough to follow Jesus. I didn't live like a Christian this week. It's remembering Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it's by grace that we're saved, not by works, through faith, so that no one can boast. And this is a gift from God. It's murmuring it to ourselves. The one who is blessed, who is happy, is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. If there's one thing I want you to remember today, it's this. I think we've got the second slide. What shapes our thinking shapes our lives. Whatever shapes your thinking shapes your life. I'll pick on the coach for a minute uh, and you guys who are basketball players. But we can all sort of parallel this for our, our world, okay? These guys can look at you and say, I hate that guy. 
man, he makes me run. We're having to pass. I don't want to pass. I want to shoot. I don't want to come down and have to pass three times. I don't want to run the pick. We just want to let the offense come to us. We certainly don't want to play the defense. They can view it like that. See, if that's what's going to shape your thinking, then when you cross half court, man, you guys are not going to be looking to run the offense that he feels like is best. You're going to do what you want to do. The other approach you can take, though, is to go, you know what? Coach has been more successful than we have in our life and in basketball. And so if he says we need to do it this way, we might ought to do it that way. And as we begin to do that, what shapes your thinking is going to shape your life. So if you come across half court and you trust him, you're going to run the offense that he says because you trust him and his perspective. If that's your thinking, that will shape the way that you behave on the court. I mean, it is the same in our life. There are narratives that rule this world. I'll give you, I'll give you six really quickly. Man, our culture would tell us that money, sex, power, success, and self are the most important things. That those would be the five gods that our culture would tell every one of us in here we need to follow. Money, sex, power, success, and self. And there are evangelists that preach those uh, false gospels to us all the time. Man, you cannot turn on your television. You can't ride down the highway. You can't, uh, you can't do anything and not be sort of hear that preached at you all the time. They're, like after Christmas, Nat and I will talk and we'll say, well, what was one gift you wanted for Christmas that you didn't get? And this becomes sort of this self, like, I wish I would have gotten whatever. And I will say something like, man, I wish I would have gotten, I don't know what I wish I would have gotten, like, got pretty much everything but I'll say it and then I'll go pick up my phone and I'll uh, be like on something and I'll look and there will be an ad for the thing that I was just talking about has this ever happened to you we're being watched all the time like I am a conspiracy theorist I I don't know how that happens but like I'll be like man I wish I would have gotten uh, Ralphie's pink uh, bunny onesie jumper thing and I'll go and look on Amazon suggested things for me will be Ralphie's onesie jumper from a Christmas story like there's this, there are these evangelists of money, sex, power, success, and self that are constantly being preached at us that we can live that way. But the sixth one's the gospel, that we can live the gospel. And the voice of Jesus, especially as we begin the year, is very quiet. And he will say, I will shape your thinking. I will shape your behavior. I will change your life if you will listen. If you will listen. And God doesn't scream And God's spirit doesn't yell at us. And he won't say, hey, Renee, come this way. Live this way. you got to do this. Ah." But he does speak. And he will change us. And he will shape us. And what shapes our, as our thinking goes, so goes our life. Verse 3. The person who is delighting in the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf doesn't wither. And all he does, he prospers. The blessed person is rooted in God and the gospel. The blessed person yields fruit in its season. Some of you have told me, Carson, you've told me this several times. Renee, I've heard you say this several times. I've even heard Scott say this. Say, man, I wish I knew more about the Bible. I wish I knew more about my faith. I wish I could get past this struggle I've had. Listen, that's coming. That fruit is coming. It will come, the Bible promises, in its season. 
in its season. We grow in our seat in the right season. Also, the person who is blessed, their leaf doesn't wither in the drought. This doesn't mean that uh, we never have problems. It's just that there come times in life where there is drought. I love the story of Mother Teresa. She's uh, one of the greatest human beings who ever lived. If you read Mother Teresa's prayer journal, there were years in her life where she felt like God didn't say anything to her. It felt like the voice of God for her went totally quiet. And in those moments, because she had delighted in the Lord, she could go back and say, God, I know you're still there. I don't feel you, but your word is true. I know you are there. Please speak to me, Lord. In a drought, the blessed person uh, doesn't uh, wither up. And the Bible says that this verse says that that person even prospers. The rooted person prospers. If you don't have roots in your life, you will have no fruit. You will have no longevity. You will have no growth and you will have no prosperity. There's not prosperity without being rooted in something. And as a follower of Jesus, we will not find prosperity without roots in God and the gospel. So here's the second contrast. But it says in verse 4, the wicked are not like that. They're not like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. If you ever see a field of wheat, I remember one time flying from, uh, from South Carolina where we were living to Denver. And basically the entire state of Nebraska and most of eastern Colorado is just fields. It's just flat and fields. And you can just see this wheat. Do you see this when you fly over? You do, don't you? Mark goes out west a lot for his work. And there's like a, a third of the country. It just seems like it's wheat and plant stuff. Now, when you get wheat and wheat is fully matured, you go and you take it off the stalk. And it has two things. One, it has the actual wheat kernel. But then wheat is wrapped in a little shell. And that shell is called chaff. And the way that uh, a long time ago, for there were complex machines, the way you would separate the wheat from the chaff was like this. You would do this, right? You would separate it, and then you would open your hand, and you would have wheat in your hand, and you would have chaff. Chaff doesn't weigh anything, and chaff is absolutely worthless. And in a good wind, just a slight wind, the, a wind will come across your hand, and the wheat will stay, and the chaff will blow away. And the Bible, the psalm says, the one who is not planted in streams of water and not delighting in the Lord is like the chaff. They're weightless, no roots, worthless, and bound for destruction. The person who doesn't delight in the Lord is weightless, rootless, worthless, and bound, sadly, for destruction. So I think we have a slide of this. An unpredictable world will always expose an unrooted faith. An unpredictable world will separate the wheat from the chaff. You get a family member gets cancer, an unpredictable world will expose how rooted your faith is. You, get, you lose your job, an unpredictable world will, will show how rooted your faith is. You got to start one in seven, which you can't this year because we're already ahead of that curve, and it will expose how rooted you are, right? You get cursed at on the basketball court or at school, that unpredictability of that moment is going to prove how rooted you are as a person of faith, right? An unpredictable world always exposes an unrooted faith. Jesus gave an illustration in Matthew 7. He said, 
uh, there's like two houses. There's a house built on the rock and a house built on the sand. And the storm would come at both. The waters would rise at both. The winds would attack both. But only the one built on the rock was able to withstand the storm. And so an unpredictable world always exposes an unrooted faith. Go on to verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked people won't have a leg to stand on. Remember earlier I said the righteous should have no place for the wicked. I want to tell you ultimately that the wicked have no place for the righteous. The wicked people have no place for the righteous. Now, this is not based on behavior. Some of you are new Christians. Some of you are not yet Christians. And some of you have been Christians for a long time. But let me tell you one thing about being a Christian. Being a follower of Jesus is not about behavior. Being a follower of Jesus is about identity. My boys' names are Noah Reagan Mangrum and Owen Sanders Mangrum. The days when they get mad at me, their last name is Mangrum. The days where they love me, their last name is Mangrum. It will not ever, ever change. They are my sons because God has given them to me. When we are Christians, we are God's children. And our identity never changes based on our behavior. So the question for those of you especially who didn't grow up in church who would say, I wasn't a Christian or I'm not yet a Christian, is not how good or bad are you. The question is, are you part of God's family? The wicked will not stand in a judgment. Is not saying the people who are bad morally. It's saying the people who don't know God. The wicked, it says, will, will perish. And then in verse 6, for the Lord, let me read, let me read it backwards. For the way of the wicked will perish, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now I'm going to tell you why I'm reading it backwards. Let's start with the idea of the wicked. The wicked will perish. That's a, that's a, that's a word of judgment and a word of damnation. The wicked will perish. It doesn't mean that they're going to die. Everybody's going to die. We're all going to die. When it says the wicked will perish, that means the wicked, after they die, will stand before God. And if they've not believed in God through Jesus, surrendered their life to Jesus, been born again, then they will perish. This is a John 3.16 idea. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal, abundant life. Right? The wicked who rejected Jesus will perish eternally. But, now let's flip back to that first part of the phrase. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now the word know in Hebrew is one of the funnest words in the Bible. All right? To know in, uh, is the word uh, yada. It just is like a, it's a sexual word. I'll just keep it very real with you. So it says, Adam knew Eve as his wife. It's saying that they came together and consummated that relationship. It's a word of intimacy. It's to say, some of you, I don't know very well. Some of you, I know really well. Man, I love Dabriel. I've come to love Dabriel. At first, he really got on my nerves, but now I'm kind of becoming partial to him. Here's the thing I love about Dabriel. He's got this very serious look all the time, but man, sometimes he'll kind of drop his guard, and he'll, uh, like we were talking the other day, and he just said something that was really nice, and man, like, I just looked at Dabriel in that moment and thought, God, I love this kid. I love this young man. And I really think he actually likes me. I might be wrong on that. But uh, I, 
See, there's a, I know Gabriel. I don't know everything about Gabriel, but I know him and I'm beginning to know his heart. When the Bible says here, it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's intimacy. It's knowing. The Bible says God knows the way of the righteous. It implies intimate relationship, even saving relationship. What it's saying is the, right, the unrighteous, the wicked, will perish eternally. But God is the one who saves those who are rooted, who are blessed, who are righteous by identity. Has God saved you? As we begin 2020, has God saved you? Do you know God? My favorite baseball player of all time is Ted Williams. Uh, he's the greatest hitter ever lived. In my house the other day, my wife said, Babe Ruth was the greatest hitter who ever lived. And I, I went, uh, wait, watch it. She was telling our boys. She was instructing them. They said, who's Babe Ruth? We're watching the Sandlot. She said, oh, he's the greatest hitter ever lived. I was like, uh, excuse me? And she goes, I'm sorry, Ted Williams was the greatest hitter who ever lived. He had to go for, he had to twice in the prime of his career go fight in the military. And, uh, and therefore, his statistics aren't as good as Babe Ruth. But he was the greatest hitter who ever lived. I can tell you all kinds of stuff about Ted Williams. You asked me a question about Ted Williams, his kids, where he grew up, his parents, his baseball career, his military career. He's in three halls of fame. I can tell you all about Ted Williams. I can go on and on about him. I know a lot about Ted Williams. I don't know Ted Williams. I don't know him. And there's a lot of people in our neighborhood and maybe even people sitting here who know a lot about God. But we won't be quizzed when we get to heaven about what we knew about God. God will look and say, Jamar, did you know me? Sheen, did you know me? Bar, did you know me? Drew, did you know me? Did you know me? Do you know me? Not do you know about me. Not do you know Bible verses. But do we know God? And does God know us? In 2020, we need to grow more rooted in a few things. I'm going to tell you some of the things we need to grow more rooted in as a church. We need to grow more rooted in community. We need to know one another better than we currently do. Right? Look around. How many of you see somebody you've seen before but still don't fully know yet? Some of you are brand new today. You don't have to answer this. But look around people who've been here before. And are there people that you say, I don't really know that person. I should know that person. We need to be rooted in community. We need to be, oh, and let me tell you why we need to be rooted in that. Because, man, there's some stuff you got that other people need. Barb has got big faith. And you, you all need Barb's faith. Carson is one of the best people ever at like building relational connections with other people. We need that. All of us in this room need that. Man, Jamie understands systems in a way that I do not understand them. And as our church is going to grow, we need to be rooted in that. Marcy is unbelievable at building a team of people, whether it's uh, like, I think of Marcy as a neighborhood legend because she's the one who put together the women's basketball, Tuesday night basketball league, and have handed it off in the last few months. It's running on its own. Very few people can relationally put something together and then hand it off and it still thrive. But that's what she did. That's a gift. Coach Coleman can look at something that is not and, and make you believe it can become. That's a powerful gift. We all need that gift to look at what is not 
and see what it can become. Man, he looks at you guys, and I'll say, Coach, what do you see when you see Garvin's do this? What do you see when you see Dally do this? And he doesn't just say what you're doing in that moment. He can see what you can become. Most people are too realistic, pessimistic to be able to do that. Man, when Sister Rochelle prays, like, it does my soul good. We need to learn to pray from her. Man, Mark is insanely gifted at multiple things. One, generosity. Two, encouraging. And three, understanding big picture ideas. Like, I don't fully even understand what Mark does for a living, but he does it really, really well. We need that. We need that as we're going to become what God is calling us to become together. Renee, servant. Baskin had the worst health year of his life last year. But so often he would be here pushing through. We need that perseverance to get. Look, we need to grow in community, be rooted in community. We need to be rooted in joy and peace. We need to be rooted in discipleship. We need to be rooted in a sense of mission. I told you the other day, there were 65 people here the second Sunday in December, which was very sobering for me because it reminded me that about 7,935 people weren't here. And those people need to hear the gospel. And whether they reject Jesus or follow Jesus is up to them. But they need the opportunity to do that. We need to be rooted in generosity. We need to be rooted in growth. We need to be rooted in the idea of prosperity. God didn't save you just for you to get by. And he didn't create our church just for our church to struggle along. Like, I believe the other day I was in here for the Christmas show. And the kids were performing on the stage. And we were here because the church donates our sound system on those days for the school to use. And so there were 225 chairs sitting in here. And I took a photo of it. And I thought, man, one day this is going to be our church. 225 chairs in here. Kids downstairs in the gym. We're going to outgrow everything because God loves these people in this neighborhood. All of them. Every one of them. Regardless of their color, their age, their socioeconomics, what they believe before, their religious upbringing. And man, there's coming a day where that's going to happen. God wants your life to prosper, and God wants our church to prosper. Uh, God wants us to be rooted in agape, cross-love. He wants us to be rooted in boldness and in faith and in courage and in financial stewardship and in all those things. He wants us to be rooted in the years to come. But it starts with this. Carson asked me earlier about these books. If you were to say to me, uh, what are the most influential books in your sort of uh, thinking as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus, especially as a follower of Jesus, these would be some of the most influential. I'm going to take a photo of these in a little bit and uh, we'll post it on social media later. I'd love to read some of them with you this year. I'd love to read some of these with you. Basketball players, I've thought about you guys with this one. This one's called Coach Wooden's Pyramid of Success. The greatest coach of all time is John Wooden. He coached the UCLA basketball team in the 60s and early 70s. And uh, he created this thing called the Pyramid of Success, the greatest book you'll ever read on character. It's written by a basketball coach. Uh, I love this book right here, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It helped me understand how to truly read and understand the Bible. I love this book, uh, The Celtic Way of Evangelism. I read it every year, March 1st, in preparation for St. Patrick's Day. It talks about how Patrick of Ireland was the greatest uh, at understanding the culture he was moving into and sharing the gospel. I love this book, Confronting Christianity. It was written by a young woman who lives about five miles from here. She lives over in Cambridge. Uh, It's about confronting the 12 biggest intellectual objections that people have to following Jesus. I'd love to read some of these with you this year. I think that you would 
you and we would be much more deeply rooted if we read some of these together. I'd love to even see some of you read them together. And like three or four of you men and three or four women say, let's just read this one together and and grow in it and talk through it and see how it shapes us. Because what shapes our thinking shapes our life. But first we have to be rooted in the Lord and in his law and in his ways and in his word. Now here's the gospel truth. We can't do any of this stuff on our own. You and I cannot be good enough to follow God on our own. But God can and God will do it in us and with us. It's not about our behavior, but about our identity. It's who you are. This is your birthright in 2020. It's your birthright in 2020 as the people of God. My dad, uh, this is not my notes, which is always dangerous. My dad had a stepdad who is very hardworking and a good saver of money. He never spent anything. And I've been told, and I don't know if it's true or not, and frankly, I hope it's not true, but I've been told when my grandpa Bill passes away that I will receive a part of his inheritance, which is ridiculous because by blood, I have no relation to my granddad. He was my dad's stepdad. But when he adopted and became the stepdad to my dad, then I became part of his family. And so if that is true, when he passes away, that I come into part of his inheritance, that is a blessing that I did not deserve. But I will be entitled to by his decision of making me part of his family. God has a birthright and an inheritance for every one of us this year that he wants you to receive. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. It's not something we just come to naturally. It's something he gives us in grace. It is our birthright as the people of God. I want to challenge you. Here's a challenge. I want to challenge you to memorize some part of Psalm 1 this week. Some part of it. Maybe Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Maybe the whole thing, six verses. I want to put a challenge before you to memorize this. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What a powerful truth that we murmured that under our breath. I'll close with this story. Uh, Johann Sebastian Bach uh, is arguably the greatest composer of all time. He was a cantor for his church, which meant meant he was the worship leader. He wrote the music, however. And in all of his pieces... Uh, A known fact is he would compose all these complicated, beautiful pieces of music, and at the last, he would write S-D-G, which in Latin means soli deo gloria, to God all the glory and to God alone. What is not known about Bach, but is equally true, is at the top of those compositions, he would write Jesu Jevu which in Latin means Jesus' help. Man, here's my prayer for all of us right here. On December 31st, 2020, I pray that we would, at the end of the composition of this life, say, to God alone be all the glory. But it begins on the first Sunday in January, like those pieces with us saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Help me meditate on who you are and what you've done and live a blessed life as I abide in you. Let me pray for us.